everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor Amos Grunendijk. Let's begin with prayer. Holy Spirit, we thank you for being present to us. We ask for more. We ask you to move among us. We thank you for planting us here, in your family, in this church, in this place, in this country. And we need to be made new. And so come and refresh us. Meet us where we are. Meet us in our pain. Meet us in our struggle. Meet us in our joy. And as we open up your word today, we ask that you would speak to us. So make our hearts soft. And keep our minds open to your truth, God. Amen. You guys can have a seat. I am so glad that you came to join us if you're in the room and that you're engaging online. Um, I'm going to start today by quoting from the book of James. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. This is going to be an important frame as we talk about race today, because it's one of the topics in our world where even bringing up the issue makes many of us very anxious. It's an issue where if we're not aware of what's going on inside of us, we will actually be quick to anger. Uh, maybe we deal with our anxiety in a different way. Maybe we're going to be quick to isolate, whether that means creating physical distance between us and other people or emotional distance between us and other people or psychological distance between like even the feelings that we're having, the uncomfortable feelings that we have when we meet up against people who are different than us. When I meet someone who is different than me, when I meet someone who believes differently than me, sometimes when I meet people who look differently than me, dress differently than me, speak differently than me, I feel a little anxiety. And the invitation today is to step toward that feeling of discomfort and be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. I don't know if you guys noticed, but people are different. Um, I, I actually am amazed at how different we all are. And if I want to know what it's like to be like you, the best thing that I can do is listen to you. So if I want to know what it's like to be a woman, 
I'm not going to ask you, Ray. I'm going to ask Teresa. I, singly, I, you're, I know you're very secure in your masculinity, right? Like, I, if I want to know what it's like to be a woman in this world today, and if there are places where she feels excluded or ceilings that she's hit, the best person I can ask is Teresa. Uh, it's true in all sorts of areas. Of course, like we're talking about race and skin color today, but man, I don't even know what it's really like to be a left-hander. You know what I mean? Like, if you want to know what it's like to be left-handed, talk to people who are left-handed. One of the, I think, real problems in our world today is that we are listening only to people who believe like we do and think like we do. I realize this in my own kind of opinions about race. Uh, not so long ago, actually, where most of my opinions about people of color were being shaped by people who looked like me. I mean, I think sometimes the opposite is also true. I, I can't speak about this from experience, but if you're a person of color and the only people you listen to are other people of color, then, then you're also only getting a narrow view of what different experiences are like. But I think when we want to love like Jesus, we are actually going to lean toward and listen to people who are being oppressed, excluded, put down, shamed. And if we are going to love like Jesus, we must listen to people who are very different than us. Let me say this in the negative. You can't love like Jesus if you're only engaging with people who are like you. We see this in the life of Jesus. We see this in the early church as the church spreads across the ancient Roman world. And so I want to read just a little passage from this book that we've been looking at together called The Deeply Formed Life. Uh, there's two chapters that I think are, are really helpful uh, in engaging with the issue of race and racism in our country. Um, of course, there are some things that made me feel a little bit uncomfortable and made me have a little bit of anxiety, but that is actually a good thing, right? Again, to be able to lean into the anxiety and show up with love rather than with anger or by simply unplugging and disconnecting. He says this, you see, God is not simply in the business of dry cleaning our souls. He is in the business of tearing down walls and creating a new family, a new way of belonging together. One can argue that the primary fruit of the gospel is not going to heaven when you die, but rather the miraculous new family that is created out of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Racial justice and reconciliation remain two of the most urgent matters of faith and public witness. In this respect, the cross of Jesus isn't just a bridge that gets us to God, it's a sledgehammer that breaks down the walls that separate us. In the midst of all that confusion and anger that persist due to the racial tensions in our country and world, the church must lead the way in proclaiming the message of hope, justice, and reconciliation. And so, be quick to listen, be slow to speak, and be slow to get angry. And I want you to just, again, pay attention to what happens when people get angry. The weapons that we pull out are weapons of shame, are weapons of 
disengagement are weapons of like put down and exclusion and isolation. So be very careful again with if you're if you're listening and you hear that people are name calling or blame shifting, maybe find some people who are trying to deal or engage with people that aren't quick to anger and quick to shame and quick to blame and quick to name call, okay? I'm going to read from a variety of passages today uh, because if you want to really know what it's like to be a person of color, you are probably not going to learn that from me. Uh, What you hopefully can learn from me is what the Bible says about our differences, including our ethnic and racial differences, okay? So something to understand in the context of the New Testament is 50 days after Jesus resurrected, the Holy Spirit comes. This happens in Acts 2, and it says that on that one day, there are people from all these different countries, if we can put up that map, who are in town and who hear about Jesus and decide to follow Jesus. These are different ethnic peoples who speak differently, uh, dress differently. They're coming from Africa. They're coming from Italy. They're coming from the East, uh, you know, modern day Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Turkey, Egypt. Uh, It's very early in the book of Acts where an Ethiopian man decides that he's going to give his life to Jesus. And so from the very beginning, you have the issue of ethnic diversity, and ethnic tension. I'm going to use the word ethnic a lot today, not because I don't think racism or race is a helpful word, but because it's a, it's a foreign concept to the people of the Bible. Like the idea of race comes much, much, much later. And, and I'm going to use the word ethnic to kind of stay true to the world of the Bible. But also the heart issue is the same. I'm different from you. We're having trouble getting along. And so when you read the letters written by Paul, who, by the way, goes on these missionary journeys up and over toward, we don't know if he actually makes it all the way to Rome, but he he spends a lot of time in that Asia Minor area, modern-day Turkey, Ephesus, Greece, and these areas. He goes, and first he goes to a synagogue. The first question he asks is, where's the synagogue? I want to tell the people in the synagogue, the Jewish people, about Jesus. And for the Jewish people, they drew a line. Uh, not, not so unlike the lines we draw, right? There's us and there's everybody else. But as soon as he talked to the Jewish people, he went and said, okay, now where's the pagan temple? So for instance, he goes to the pagan temple of Artemis and tells people about Jesus there. And he goes to pagan temples all over Asia Minor and people who are not Jewish ethnically, who are not Jewish religiously also decide to follow Jesus. But Paul doesn't start two different churches When he goes to Ephesus, he starts one church. And so the people who are engaging in community in that one church are coming from wildly different experiences. And so whenever you read about Jews and Gentiles in the letters of Paul, and it's almost on every page, he's actually talking about ethnic tension and how the gospel, the good news about Jesus, helps us reconcile. So when you hear the difference between Jew and Gentile, yes, there is a religious experience that is colliding, but also an ethnic difference. People who are pagan, 
from the perspective of the Bible and people who were Jewish. And so let's, let's open up to Ephesians 2. This is one of the great chapters in the Bible. I mean, we're getting good ones lately. Romans 12, now Ephesians 2. Um, this is maybe one of the best places for us to land today. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. But at this point in the chapter, Paul is actually addressing the Gentiles, right? He is addressing people who are ethnically different than he is. He says, you lived in this world without God and without hope, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Jesus. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. Okay, I'm just going to pause right there. Those first few verses are talking about vertical peace. Earlier in Ephesians, he actually says the relationship that we had with God before he like bestows his grace upon us is a hostile one. It's one that is wrathful, right? There's like, there's dissonance there. There's rebellion there. And so Jesus brings peace to our vertical relationship that we have with God. The invitation is to make peace with God. But then he goes on. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles, between different ethnic groups, people of different skin colors, people who dressed differently, people who spoke different languages, by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together, as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. So in this passage, we actually have uh, the problem stated in, I think, a very helpful graphic, but also the solution stated. Did you catch that little part where he's mentioning the wall of hostility? I, I think that's a good way to describe symbolically one of the big problems that we have in this country. And again, I, by pointing out the problems that are real in my, our country, I don't, I actually love our country. <laughs> like, America is an amazing place. And because I love it so much, like, it's actually worth speaking truth into, right? So, I'm not trying to like put down our country or I, I think our diversity in this country is one of the most beautiful things we have. Diversity of opinion and diversity of ethnicity and diversity of race, okay? But one of the problems that we have in this country is not that we disagree, right? It's okay to disagree. One of the real problems of this country is when we disagree, there's this wall of hostility. Now, Paul is probably actually talking about a very literal wall that you could have walked up and seen on the Temple Mount. And again, the, the racism wouldn't be the right word, but the ethnic exclusion that the Jewish people held, the belief that they were the, like the one and only chosen people of God and no one else was invited to the party, ran deep. And so in the temple, there was a wall built around like, the place you really wanted to be, right? To be closest to God, you were in the inner court. And the wall was called the wall of hostility. And there was a sign, they just dug this up, well, just. There was a sign they found that would have been hung on that wall. It's written in Greek, so don't bother if you can't read it. 
uh, very well. It's faint, right? Because it's like 2,000 years old. It basically says, if you're a Gentile and come in here, your death is your own fault. Talk about ethnic hostility toward people who are different. And Paul is saying, Jesus tears this wall down. Symbolically speaking, the wall that's in our hearts. This wall is torn down. It says, through his death. So Jesus' death accomplishes all sorts of things for us, right? It reconciles us to God. But here it's also saying it's designed to reconcile us to other people who are different than us and to be held together as one people in what we call the church or the family of God. To live with hostility toward people who are different than you is to live as if Jesus' death didn't work. If you're one of the impacts of the good news, one of the impacts of the death of Jesus is that it's an invitation for your heart to actually open up to people who are different than you, to listen, to be slow to speak, and to do whatever it takes. To love like Jesus means we're going to really work on our anxiety and be slow to get angry, to stay engaged. Now, that doesn't mean we're human. We all need to take a break. Have you ever been in a fight and it's just like, I'm going to lose it. I need a 30-minute break, okay? That's actually physiologically very significant, that 30 minutes. Like if you're running emotionally hot, it takes 30 minutes for those. Are they hormones? Allison, you're my science friend. You know, like the, the adrenaline. It takes 30 minutes for whatever that is in your body, the, in the blood. There's something that goes into your blood that makes you go crazy. And it takes 30 minutes for that to, to, to clear out, okay? So we... we if we want to love like Jesus, this is something we all got to work on. But the solution is here too. The solution is that Paul says we have become one household. And when you read through the New Testament, he's always using brother and sister language, right? The solution is that we treat each other like family in our differences. So like our church is around 20% like people of color and 80% white, which we hover right around that number. Um, and, I, and I think that's a number to celebrate. Like from like modern church perspective, that makes us like a diverse church. But God's kingdom is actually more diverse. So we still have like work to do because God's kingdom like includes everybody. And again, it's actually on purpose. It's like a miraculous family that God has pulled together here. So where was I going with that? Oh, yeah. So the people, <laughs> the people like in our church who look differently than us, who are ethnically differently than, different than us, racially different than us, we, we see you and we, would, we need to treat each other like family. Now, that means we might fight sometimes, but that means we're committed to each other. That means that if somebody picks on my little brother, I'm going to stand up for him or for her. I don't mean like... I'm not talking about violence, okay? There's another, there's another example of a tool of anger that is not a tool of Jesus, right? Violence. But like, I'm, I'm going to treat you like family, and if I see you mistreated, that's going to affect me. Like, I'm gonna, I, if my heart is open to you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand up and not be silent. Okay, so there's, there's a couple of different ways that people have tried to deal with the real tension, the real... The real 
dissonance that can happen when you have people in one community who are very different than you. One solution is the solution of the Borg from Star Trek. Do you guys know about the Borg from Star Trek? I'm not going to go into the many encounters that uh, the, the Federation has with the Borg, but here's the idea. The Borg come into a people group, and they say what? Okay, Star Trek nerds, boom. You will be assimilated. Resistance is futile. Your existence as you have known it is over, right? Like, we're going to make you like us. What made you different is going to be erased, and you're all going to look like uh, Locutus here. Is he still up there? Yeah, Locutus. Um, that's fuzzy. It's really high pixelation, but it was originally filmed in who knows what, 480, you know, TV, whatever. Anyway, okay. You might actually, if you're reading the Bible a certain way, think the Bible is saying this, like, let's just keep the fighting from happening by making everybody the same. Okay, one of the places people go sometimes that I think gets misread is Galatians chapter 3. Uh, you may have heard this one. It says here, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You see how maybe you could get the Borg interpretation there? Uh, I'm just going to read from the ESV study Bible, and I like this one. This is a good study Bible. When I quote from a study Bible, it's because I'm like, hey, maybe you want to, you know, invest in this one. But uh, he put, they, they put it very clearly and concisely. Paul clearly is not advocating the elimination of all distinctions. He teaches that old divisions and wrongful attitudes of superiority and inferiority are abolished, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He does not take away the distinction between men and women, but says they are united, joined together in one body, the church. The verse teaches unity within diversity, but not sameness. This idea gets reinforced in Acts chapter 15. As I said, there's, there, there's this collision that happens when people of different experiences and ethnicities come together. And, and sometimes it gets a little bit hot and contested. And so one of the big questions for the early church is, right, do we make the Gentiles, the them, quote unquote, become just like us? Should they eat the same food as us? Because that's, for a Jewish person, a moral issue. Uh, do they need to dress like us? Do they need to speak like us? Do they need to have the same holidays as us? Is that relevant? I think so. I think that's still relevant. And the 12 apostles get together at what is called the Jerusalem Council. Did you guys know about this? I find this, I, I like grew up in church and never read about the Jerusalem Council, but they, they get together and they, they're trying to decide, they're debating what it takes to follow Jesus, like in terms of assimilation. And what they come to as a conclusion is this, Acts chapter 15, verse 28. I told you there's gonna be a lot of Bible today. I don't usually do this. Um, so I hope, hope you're sticking with me here. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit, verse 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. You must abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming blood or meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. If you do this, you will do well. Farewell. 
Okay, so what's remarkable about this is not that they're saying, okay, so stop going to like the temples and doing that, you know, like disengage from the pagan temples and keep your bodies pure. This gets explained later because your body is like a temple of the Holy Spirit. So sexual immorality, we're keeping that. You know, that's in the, that's in the Old Testament and that's something we're definitely bringing in to the new family, the new creation, the new, you know, promises of God. But what's really remarkable is how, like, they're saying all the ethnic stuff, all the stuff that made you Jewish, like, pretty much, and I'm not saying that the Old Testament isn't important and, and shouldn't still be read, but, like, there's a lot of stuff in there that they say, to follow Jesus, we're not going to make you eat like us, dress like us, speak like us. We're not, we're not going to assimilate you. The way that you follow Jesus will actually be unique to your experience. And the church hasn't always gotten this right. Um, the Catholic church has a long history of coming into a place and saying, and now you will be just like the Romans, right? Uh, you will, in fact, if you go still to this day in large part, if you go to a Catholic church in South America and a Catholic church in Rome, the services look very different. The Protestant church hasn't gotten this right all the time either. And I think one of the one of the places where we've offended the most is with indigenous peoples uh, who were living here first. Like we, we tried to, uh, as missionaries, it wasn't just that we were bringing Jesus to them, we were bringing European culture to them, believing that, as the Jewish people did, our culture is superior. Believing that it's not different, we're right and you're wrong. And so we're going to assimilate you. We're going to erase your heritage. We're going to make you just like us, okay? Again, I love, I actually love the big C church. Like, I love Catholics. If, you, if you've ever walked up to me and say, oh, I'm Catholic, I'm like, I love Catholics. We have a lot of Catholics in our church, actually, right? People of Catholic heritage. Uh, and, and I love Protestants, and I love, like, I love the vineyard. But I think one of the things that the vineyard gets right is, Wherever the vineyard is, there is, to some degree, and we're, we're getting better at this, a unique expression of where we are. So, like, here we are in Chester Springs, and guys, we're kind of in a unique place because we've got city, you know, we've got Philadelphia, and we've got Honeybrook. And I love both places, but they're all here, you know? But if, if you go to the vineyard church down the road in Media, Pennsylvania, they're doing something a little different because that's Delco. <laughs> you know what I mean? And if... <laughs> Uh, if you go down to Lancaster, they're doing something really different <laughs> over there because like who we are is unique to the place and the culture and, the, and, and, and who, we're bringing our, our diversity and it's part of what makes us beautiful. And I mean politically and I, our, our religious heritage and I mean our, our ethnic heritage and I mean who we are as individuals, but it's just like God designed this to be Super beautiful. And this is actually the image we get at the, at the very end of the Bible um, in Revelation. A guy, one of the uh, followers of Jesus named John has a vision, right? And he writes it down in the book of Revelation. And in chapter 7, you don't get like a bunch of people like that kind of get plugged in as, you know, they're all, they're all looked at the same, they all talk the same, they all have the same ideas. They actually have what he describes as a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation, tribe, and people. 
You catch that from every nation, tribe, and people, and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. And, and he's seeing this, right? So the fact that uh, this is a vision and that he's seeing it, he didn't go up and say, hey, where are you from? Hey, where are you from? He's like, he's seeing color. And like the fact that we were created in the image of God, whether our skin is white or brown or black or, or, any, or any other color, like that's part of what it is to be made in the image of God. And in the new heavens and the new earth, right, our destiny, the plan is that we retain that part of who we are. I think that's the vision. There are, there are issues, though, that we need to talk about that are, you know, that compete with that vision, right? And I, I want to, I'm going to use a word, and I, I hesitate to use the word because um, it means so many things to so many people. And if, if you want to know what it means to anybody, you should ask them, right? Instead of assuming we're all holding the same definition of systemic racism. But I think every person of color that I've ever talked to has talked about systemic racism. And I think that manifests itself in different ways. And I don't, I don't have solutions, and I don't even know exactly how it gets, uh, how it gets into this into places, except for that it's like people and organization or organizations and, and systems and laws are made by people who are like sinners. Because we are sinners, we build things that are that are corrupt, that are actually that have flaws. Even our like our great country is flawed. Our church, which I love, oh, guys, I love our church. One of the things I love about my church, I've been just telling this to everybody who asks, is like, I love my church, but I feel like my church loves me back. And I actually hear you guys say that too. Like, I love my church and I feel like my church loves me back. And somebody, I was talking to somebody this past week who, who's black and they said, I love, I love our church because they love like Jesus. I've never met people who love like Jesus like our church does and I feel embraced for who I am. Um, and yet, so for instance, in Isaiah chapter 10, you find in the Bible uh, God talking about actual laws that are made by people that are unjust. He says in chapter 10, verse 1, What sorrow awaits the unjust judges and those who issue unfair laws? Or another way uh, to interpret that Hebrew word is oppressive laws. They deprive the poor of justice and deny the rights of the needy among my people. It's in the Bible because it's like part of the dark side of the human heart. And I don't, I don't think we've outgrown that part of our heart. And again, I, I don't know what the solutions are beyond like we need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. And, and that's because that's how God loves. Do you know God like talks sometimes? <laughs> like he talks in the Bible and he speaks to us in prayer if we like kind of slow down and, and listen and seek him. And, but God listens a lot. I would say God actually listens more than he talks. Have you ever thought about that? Here in Psalm verse 12, this is just really one example. Psalm chapter 12. This is really just one example of God listening and seeing. 
it, the, if you read the book of Amos, if you read the book of Isaiah, if you read uh, any, any like book in the Old Testament, you'll find that God is listening to the oppressed. And so here in chapter 12, verse 5, the Lord replies, I have seen violence done to the helpless, and I have heard the groans of the poor. Now I will rise up to rescue them as they have longed for me to do. God is a God who listens, who sees oppression, who moves toward people who are oppressed. Like if that's not good news, then we must be living with this twisted reality that I saved myself or I am guilt-free, like as a person who needs to be reconciled to God. But because our whole faith is based on the grace and goodness of God, and becoming more like Jesus. To be more like Jesus means we actually open our hearts to other people. We listen deeply. We, we have like special sensitivity to oppression, even if it's you know, small and especially if it's big. And our heart to like do what we can to help pick, you know, help people get up and, uh, and, and, break through whatever ceilings they've bumped their heads up against. And, and it's a sad thing when it's because of something as beautiful as ethnicity, as beautiful as a, as a different skin color. Like, this is something that, again, I don't have the solutions to, but I would, I would urge you, there are people in our church who would, who would talk to you there are ways to engage. In fact, yesterday we did the conversation on race Zoom call. And I think, oh, it felt so good. I mean, it felt safe. And it felt, it, it, it was just stark contrast from like watching the news and plugging into the like, the narratives that the news are trying to portray. And like the way, I mean, it kind of, again, it depends on your out, outlet. But like either white people are being shown to be like, awful in the enemy or black people are shown to be, it's like, guys, it's the same script. They've just written in different villains. If you're watching the news, it's the same script. It's just, it's different villains. Okay, I'm gonna, I was not gonna read this, but I'm just gonna read this little. He, he, he says it this way. The term filter bubble describes an algorithm on Facebook, but it's the same you know, everywhere, that created an echo chamber for people to see only the content they would most likely agree with. The filter bubble is a good image for what is happening in our time. We surround ourselves with ideas, interests, and political thoughts that reinforce what we have already believed. This has led to a brazen demonizing of people who think otherwise. Guys, the problem is not that we are different. It's the wall of hostility, and what Jesus has done through his death on the cross is he has killed it. Like when he was killed, hostility, was, it, like it's, it's supposed to be killed. So let's, I mean, <laughs> let's move toward people. And it's, it can be awkward. And I, even as I was asking questions in the call yesterday, I was like, I don't, I don't even know if I'm asking this question right. You know what I mean? But like to lean in, the invitation is to be just a little bit awkward. And if you want to listen in on the next conversation about race, like you can listen in. I mean, I think there's something about you know, speaking where like first you listen and then you speak. But if you want to listen in on the next Zoom call, just let me know. I'll give you the link. Okay. Um, so let's, uh, can we stand? 
let's do, let's do like our prayer time again now. And I, I want to put up the words on the screen. And I want you to know that if any of these um, apply to you, that God sees you and we want to pray for you. And I, but like that don't wait to be asked thing, I think actually kind of connects with what we're talking about. Like don't wait for someone who is different than you to ask to have like a conversation, right? Don't wait to be asked. Move toward them. It's, I mean, it takes courage and it is hard and it takes sensitivity to be kind like to when we speak, like there has to be room to disagree with us, right? <laughs> like if, if we speak and there's no room to disagree, like I would say that's kind of like pride. Like, like we think we know it all if, if we speak in ways where there's no room to disagree, where this is just the way it is. You know what I mean? So God, if you guys just like put your hands out and close your eyes, we're praying now. Okay. <laughs> you don't have to close your eyes. You don't have to put your hands out. But God, make us humble. And, and I know it might be weird that I'm raising my hands, but in the church, like this is how I'm wired. When, when you do a blessing, you raise your hands. It's like a way to show blessing. And so when I say, God, make us humble, this is designed to be a blessing, even if it's painful. God, uproot our pride. God, reveal to us the ways we have gotten it wrong. Reveal to us the hostility in our heart. Come, Holy Spirit. Breathe on us. Make us one. Make us whole. In the book of Amos, it says, let justice roll down like a mighty water and righteousness flow like, in a, you know, like a stream. Make our heart beat like your heart, God. And if, if we're finding like spaces where we're feeling guilt, like that's, that's the invitation to repent. And the good news is like, if you repent, if you say, God, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I'm turning back to you. I'm, I want my heart to beat like yours. I'm plugging back in. God is quick to forgive. So Holy Spirit, Father God, Jesus, we come to you with humility and we repent. Like all people are called to repentance. Not just some people. Did you know that? All people are called to repentance. Like somehow we are, regardless of our color, ethnicity, culture, have sinned on this issue. And so all people are called to repent. Come Holy Spirit. We want to listen to you now. And I would invite you as we 
begin to worship just to remind yourself now that you are in the presence of God and that he is a God of compassion. He is a God of reconciliation. He is a God of justice. He is a God of righteousness. He is a God of love. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.